You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning. Um, hope you have a nice afternoon and spend the 100 voucher, 100 euro voucher in Martin Spencer um, on yourself afterwards. Get yourself a nice treat or something like that. Uh, good to see you all this morning. Are you looking forward to Christmas? Would that be, is that an okay thing to say? Are you looking forward to Christmas? Yes. yes? We try with a bit more enthusiasm. Your children are listening. <laughs> You know, it's a strange thing. Christmas is a very funny time of the year. I think it generates massive expectations on people um, because of the whole in- there's a whole industry around Christmas. And of course, it's a time when we expect to experience peace and love and goodwill towards all men. And, you know, we expect everything to be really nice. And in some ways, the advertising in- industry sells us an image of Christmas that really is quite unrealistic, you know, because I don't, I don't know anybody who lives in a house that looks this beautiful, this clean, this organized, and this decorated. I know certainly my house never does. And when I was a child, it certainly didn't. You can have funny expectations of Christmas, and sometimes you can have a disappointing Christmas. I remember the Christmas that we got up at three o'clock in the morning, my brother and I, And came downstairs because we knew what we were getting for Christmas. We were getting a train set. Well, the excitement was like the the Barry's tea ad. The the excitement. We came down the stairs. We didn't realize the two of us there in our underpants. Nothing else. The excitement was too much. We were hot with excitement. Came down and there was the train set. And we turned it on and the train just went kind of round in circles really. We thought it was the most amazing thing. But about an hour afterwards... It broke. You heard this story before? And it never worked again. And to this day, every Christmas morning, I cry. Because I remember my... It's a straight, but literally, literally it broke. We were broken hearted. We were broken hearted. I have another story about electric guitars, but let my brother Joseph tell you that story another time. Anyway, expectations are funny things. I tell you the thing about an expectation is this. An expectation is just your imagination. Imagining what might happen, what could happen, what should happen, what you expect to happen. Whether good or bad. It's just an imagining. That's what an expectation is. And sometimes we get so built up with expectations that when things don't come to pass the way we expected them, we can be so disappointed and so deflated and so let down. You see, we have expectations of others. We have expectations of ourselves. And you know, in some senses, we have an expectation of God when he's in our lives, when he's real in our lives. We have an expectation of what God will do. But nobody will live up quite to the expectations of our imaginations at times. Sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. This guy is a guy called Barry Schwartz. Barry Schwartz wrote a brilliant book called The Paradox of Choice. Why more is less. And it's all about choices that we make in life and how we have less choices, we actually are happier. And one of the remarks he makes in the first chapter of this book, he talks about the key to happiness. And here's what he said. He says, if you want to know what the key to a happy life is, it's low expectations. If you keep your expectations low, well, you're going to have a happy life because you weren't expecting anything to be that much better anyway, were you? And so, you know, when you have a, have a life that, you know, that is kept on the down low, then anything over that is a bonus. 
But it's probably not a very nice way to live, though, in reality. Alexander Pope, who lived a long time before him, a couple of hundred years before him, he gave an even better piece of advice. He said this. He said, blessed are those who expect nothing, for he shall not be disappointed. Blessed is he who expecteth nothing. So here's a suggestion for you. When you open your gift envelope in a minute, expect nothing. You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Anyway, but you know, if we reduce or get rid of our expectations, it is one way of insulating ourselves against the realities of life. But you know, as Christian believers, we're not supposed to be insulated against the realities of life. We are to take on the realities of life with the conscious knowledge that God is watching over us, that he has overcome, that he is our savior, that our sin is paid for, and that our future is in God's hands. Would anyone say amen? I want to look at a Christmas story this morning, uh, as Tom indicated. I'm going to look at a passage, the story of the shepherds and the angels, which is recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. I want to look at that story this morning, just for a few seconds, um, because I want to look at some of the expectations that they might have had out of the experience that they had, and maybe some of the expectations that other people in the story had that may not quite have lived up to what you would have expected given the circumstances and given the promises involved. We're going to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. The scripture says, The grass fades and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. And that's what we're going to stand on this morning, what God's word says about Jesus, about us, and to us. Amen? Here we go. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified, as you would expect, sitting on a quiet hillside with nothing but sheep and shepherds for company. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Look at what the angel says has been born. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying In a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God and saying. Glory to God in highest heaven. And peace on earth on those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven. The shepherds said to each other. Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened. Which the Lord has told us about. Let me pause. Imagine it was you. You're on the hillside. No radio, no internet, no phone, no flashing lights, no noise, no street light, nothing. Silence. Sheep, you, the lads, and maybe the crackle of the fire, depending on whether they had a fire going or not. And that's what you got up on the hillside when suddenly this blaze of glory explodes and an angel appears the angel of the lord appears and he's radiant and he speaks to you and you're terrified of course you're terrified everyone will be terrified you'd be terrified if it happened no never mind say then they were terrified and then the angel says don't be afraid the savior the messiah the lord has been born what 
What? I mean, this was the, the hope, the long-expected Savior has finally come. That's what the angel is saying. And with this massive army of angels appearing in the sky, the host of heaven, it says, appearing around them, you go, wow, this is going to be some event. So they go, and they check it out. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After see him, seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And what the angel had said to them about this child. And most of the people said, what? Sorry, I put that bit in. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Like I said, what? But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Oh, I want you to imagine for a second that this happens to you. An amazing appearance, an apparition of angels. Not, not an apparition, an actual visitation of this. This was not some kind of imaginary thought. This happened to them on the hillside. And by the way, this story, just a little caveat just to put in for the reader. This story is almost certainly Mary's testimony of the events of the night. Almost certainly. And the reason is because the shepherds don't appear any further in the Gospels. And neither does Joseph appear any further in the Gospels. Sorry, any further in the Gospels. After the birth and nativity story. After the early years of Jesus. He doesn't appear anymore. And these Gospels are written after Jesus was resurrected. So this is almost certainly Mary's testimony about what happened on that night hence the little caveat that Luke puts in that Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often just something worthwhile if you're thinking you're reading of Luke's gospel that's what you're reading about this part of the story is Mary's narrative but imagine you're up there and you, you, you're visited by the angels and the, the, the whole host of heaven opens up and you go, wow, this is amazing. And then you go down into Bethany and what is this going to be like? And you go in and you find a stable. And you find animals. And you find, the animals I'm putting in there. You find Mary and Joseph, Mary, who's just after giving birth, who's, you know, obviously just after giving birth. Hello? She's not looking like, I don't know, Take your pick. She's not looking like, you know. Um, she just after having a bit. And there's Joseph, her husband. And they're probably looking a little bit shell-shocked after these events. And there's a baby. Not a glowy baby. Not a shiny baby. Not a baby with a halo around his head. But just a baby lying in a manger. Now you'd imagine after... The visitation of the angels. There'd just be something special. You kind of go, well, like, it's going to be a special scene when we get there. Or look, about, look, at what, look at what Mary and Joseph would have expected. Like, you'd imagine that in the circumstances, given that an angel visited Mary and then visited Joseph twice and, and spoke to him about what they were to do, that an angel has visited him and that uh, Mary's had a visitation of an angel and the expectation that something amazing is going on here, you'd imagine that they would expect, reasonably I would have thought, that at least when they got to the town where the baby would be born, there'd be somewhere for them to stay. That the Savior, the maker of heaven and earth, who is going to be born that day, that the Father in heaven would have at least organized that they would have a proper place to stay. But that's not what happened. Or later on when you see the Magi visit. And the Magi come somewhere between zero and two years after Jesus is born. Not 100% sure. That's the timeline based on when Herod instructed all the babies in, uh, under the age of two to be murdered in Bethlehem in the massacre of the innocents. 
Somewhere between the year zero and two, who arrives? There's a big noise made. Who arrives from the east? These Babylonian stargazers, royal family, effectively, from Babylon, arrive in. And when they come in, they go straight to the palace because they said, there's a king after been born. We saw a sign in the stars and we're here to see, we're here to see the king that was born amongst the Jews. And Herod goes, hmm, I don't know any king. Of course he doesn't know of any king because kings are supposed to be born in palaces instead they get instructions they go to Bethlehem and when they get to Bethlehem what do they see do they enter the home of a maker of empires they walk into this humble home with the humble parents and a normal child and they don't see this child being born of the builder of empires but he's born of the builder of houses and it's not at all what they expected It's not at all what they expected. How often, even in our own lives, when we look at our circumstances and we say, this is not at all what I was expecting. What I hoped would happen in that relationship. What I hoped would happen in that career. What I expected the outcome of this investment of my time to be was X, but it didn't turn out that way at all. But even take it beyond the small cast of characters who were involved in the incarnation story. Take it beyond those. Take it to the people who were expecting the long, he's referred to as the long expected Messiah. They thought he was coming. And do you know the reason why they thought he was coming? Because they looked at world events. They looked at the events of their circumstances. And they said, this is what seems to be saying in the scriptures of the things that lead up to the coming of the Messiah. It's a bit like now. I've had loads of conversations with people who said to me, don't you feel like it's, it's like the end times? It's like Jesus is going to come back any moment now. Doesn't it feel like that? And you could say, yes. And I, I mean, I, is he? Is he? I don't know. But I do understand why people think like that because the circumstances in their lives are such that they feel sometimes that like the world is changing and there's plagues and there's earthquakes and oh my goodness. And they looked at their circumstances and they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah. But if they had walked in to the stable in Bethlehem that night or any day afterwards or if they had walked into the house that the Magi visited They would not see the Messiah that they were expecting. The zealots, who were the fiery nationalists, nationalist Jews, they wanted to overthrow the Romans and slit as many throats as possible in the process to set themselves free. They wanted a political liberty. The Pharisees, who were the reinterpreters of the law of Moses, the guys who were trying to modernize the law, they were expecting a different kind of Messiah. They were expecting a conquering king to come. The Essenes, the people from the the group of people that John the Baptist was involved with, they were effectively a monastic um, they were a, a, a monastic group and they lived near the Red Sea or near the Dead Sea forgive me they lived near the Dead Sea and they had gone back to simpler times they lived a monastic life and they were expecting a Messiah like the priest Melchizedek that appeared to Abraham in the book of Genesis that's what they were expecting or the scribes the guys who go through line by line letter by letter of the Old Testament who try to draw out the teachings of God from the, from the Old Testament from the old books of the law who were looking for hints and clues that the Messiah was coming they were expecting a Messiah whose reign was about to begin and reign and last forevermore and overthrow the empires of the world and then you had the Sadducees the entire materialists who didn't believe in angels who didn't believe in the res- resurrection who didn't believe in disembodied spirits who didn't believe in life after death I don't know what the Sadducees believed in but they were ultra conservative in their moral living 
And they wanted a nation and they were political. This was not the Messiah that they were looking for. In actual fact, I would say to you that whoever you were at that time, no matter who you were in that situation, no matter where you came from, if you believed in the Messiah, what was in that cradle was not the Messiah. Whatever you were expecting, this was not it. Whoever you were expecting, this was not it. This was not him, whoever it was. That's because God works in unexpected ways. That's because the person that we are expecting is up in our minds. Like sometimes we expect that the person that we meet, we're going to fall in love with them and never miss a heartbeat for them for the rest of our lives. That's because the person you're expecting is only in your head. It's a fact. It's a fact. Nobody's in love like that for all of their lives. It would be exhausting. It would be exhausting to be going around like that all the time. And the reality is, the reality is, the reality is that our expectations very often aren't met by our circumstances. And we look at them and we go, is this it? Is this what marriage is like? Because this is not what I was expecting. Is this what my career is like? Because this is not what I was expecting. Is this what this friendship is like? Is this not what I was expecting? Is this where I'm going to be living? Because this isn't what I was expecting. And so often our expectations are disappointed, rarely outlived, but mostly disappointed. Because most of the time, our expectations are the ideas that we have in our head are not reality. But you know, it was a small beginning. And God always works in small beginnings. It was a small beginning. You know the people who looked at that Messiah that night, whether from whatever division they were in, whatever section they were in, when they looked at him, None of them knew that all time before that point and all time after that point would be determined by the birth of this child. Every moment of time before and after would be determined by this. None of them knew that they were standing right on and right at the hinge of history that was about to turn. The world was never going to be the same again. But they didn't know that because this is not what they were expecting from a world-changing event. Are you with me? Are you with me? They didn't expect it. This wasn't the way that God works. In actual fact, none of them who looked at that baby would have said that in the years to come, this young child will have billions of followers on planet Earth. He will turn out to be the saviour, the miracle worker, the resurrected one, the one who lives and reigns forevermore, as we just sang a few minutes ago. Nobody was expecting that from this baby. And that's the thing about expectations, but they always start with small seeds. See, God is always starting with small seeds. Let me give you an example. Here's a mustard seed. You're very familiar with the mustard seed. Jesus told the story himself about the kingdom of God. And remember when Jesus died, there wasn't even that many followers who followed him. It was after he was raised again that he became, as it were, popular again. He had very few with him. And this is what he said about the kingdom of God. He said, then Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree. And the birds make their nests in its branches. It was a tiny thing. Is there a seed in your life? Is there a seed in your circumstances? Is there a seed in your situation that might turn into something well beyond your imagining? 
Because you know something? Every single person sitting in here this morning, up in the atrium, watching online, every single person themselves was once a seed. Biology, it's called. Look it up. Check it out online. You were once a seed. And now, take a look at yourself. I remember when our first son, uh, when, when, when our first child, we didn't know he was going to be our son, but our first child was conceived. My wife and I, Elma, we went and celebrated and uh, went down to East Cork and got a cup of coffee and we celebrated. And uh, do you know what we were celebrating? We were celebrating an invisible thing. You couldn't see it. It was only three weeks. Couldn't even see it. You'd have to have a microscope to see what we were celebrating. And yet, he grew into a child and grew into a man. It's the same for all of us, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we don't even see what it is that God is doing. We don't even see what he has started or what he has begun. We don't even see what he's capable of doing, which is so far and wildly beyond our expectations or of how we expected to our lives to go or our lives to run. So many people here in this room are living a life that they didn't expect to live. Look what, look what Jesus said. Let me take it, take it on to the yeast one. It's a good one. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like yeast that a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. It works its way through us. And though it is invisible, it begins to produce well beyond its size. Well beyond its capacity. When you put yeast, Elma makes yeast bread the odd time at home, hasn't in a few, in, in a few years. That's not a criticism, darling. Um, uh, hasn't in a few years, but when you put yeast, you go to yeast. How does that little bit of powder, like, like half a spoon of powder, turn this loaf into a big thing? But you, you can't connect the two things. It's not what you would be expecting to come from it. But God is always doing things that we don't expect. He's always doing things we don't expect. Let me ask you a quick question. Let me ask you an expectation question, okay? No, it's okay. It's not, it's not a trick question. Let me, tell, let me ask you quickly. If you weren't born in Ireland, if you weren't born in Ireland, would you please put your hand up? If you weren't born, you're here this morning and you weren't born, would you put your hand, and put your hand up so I can see if that's it? Okay. Now, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up for a second? Just stand up for a second. Because the next question is important. No, I'm probably going to get it all wrong. Probably loads of you, but let me ask you a quick question. You weren't born in Ireland. How many of you here expected to live in Ireland and go to a Christian church in Cork City Centre? One at a time, no? Come on, one at a time. You see, all of you, brothers and sisters, are living outside of your expected life. Are you with me? Now, let me ask you an important question. Why do you think God brought you to Ireland and brought you to Cork to fellowship in a church in Cork City Centre? Because there's other things going on in your life that you don't see. Will anyone say amen? amen. Can we give a round of applause to our non-nationals? How blessed are you already, like, that God would bring you to the promised land, to Ireland? The most beautiful country in the world. Hallelujah. I said it before and I'll say it again. No tornadoes. No earthquakes. No hurricanes. No volcanoes. No tidal waves. No scorching summer. Do we wish we could get one? 
No snow six foot deep. Let me continue. No snakes. No spiders. Well, ones that lay to you, like. And no great white sharks. And no rats. Moving swiftly on. You see, God has already gone beyond your expectations in some sense. Do you know what Paul said to the Athenians in, in the book of Acts? He said, God decides the times and the places where people should live. You think, I'm getting the train to Ireland. The train to Ireland. <laughs> if you tuned in online, I haven't used my voucher yet. I'm going to get the plane to Ireland. But God had it planned well before you did. He has a plan for your life. And he's working beyond your expectations. I love this. This is what the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, this is what the Lord says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Hallelujah. His thoughts are not like my thoughts. I think I can figure it out and there's a way to do this and a way to do that. He says, no, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we have these ideas of the way things can work, but God never works according to our plan. In actual fact, I want to quote a guy called Mike Cosper. This is what he says. He said, God always accomplishes his purposes in ways that subvert expectations and that look like failure and foolishness. That's how God works. The baby in the manger to so many people, to the Jews especially at this time, looked like failure and foolishness. The cross of Jesus Christ looks like failure and foolishness. That's what it looks like. Our hope for the future of the return of Jesus Christ looks like failure and looks like foolishness. But that's exactly what God is doing. And that's exactly how God works out his plans. Even in your life, in the midst of your failure and your foolishness. In the, fail, in the midst of my failure and my foolishness. God does the unexpected in our lives. Amen. Amen. He's doing the unexpected. Have you got room in your heart to say, Lord, would you do the unexpected in my life? Amen. But what can you expect? What can, when you say, well, like, we can't just walk around blindly. Our faith isn't like just walking around blindly hoping. What can you expect in your life? You can expect this. You can expect that the God who causes everything to work together for the good of those who love them and are called according to his purposes for them. That's what you can expect. You can expect God to work out your difficulties, your trials, your delights, and your dilemmas for your good. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. You say everything, the scripture says everything. Not most things, not some things, not the odd thing, not the occasional thing. But everything in your life is working together for the good. You can expect that. Would anyone say amen? amen. What else can you expect? You can expect this. You can expect that God who began the good work within you will continue it until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Who began the good work in you? Does he finish his job? 
Hallelujah. You can expect him to finish it in you. But are you willing to let him do it his way? Let him finish it his way. You don't finish God's work in your life. God finishes God's work in your life. Amen? Amen. What else can you expect? Maybe, maybe it's important to you. It's certainly important to me. It's certainly a scripture I've leaned on so many times throughout my life since I became a Christian. I believe that you can expect this. You can expect this same God who takes care of me, wrote Paul, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Have you got a need? You can expect God will meet that need. Amen? That need may be financial, may be relational, it may be work related, it may be education related. If you've got a need, God can work that need out in your life. You would just say amen. amen. And that's the band. Lads, will you come up? We're, 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 they're here, they're here. We're going to sing a song in a second, We Have a Savior. Because I, I want to come back to you about that seed that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Because I believe there's seeds inside here this morning, seeds of hopes. Seeds of expectations, seeds of prayers that we want to lift up before the Lord this morning. Say, Lord, would you do more than I imagine that you can do with this situation? And why would I say that? What else can we expect? We can expect this. We can expect no glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Immeasurably is the term they use in the NIV. Immeasurably more. Infinitely more. Beyond what you could ask or you could think. Beyond your expectations. Beyond your hopes that God can do that. Do you believe that? Do you want to walk in that? Because I want to walk in that. I, that's the kind of faith I want. That I say, you know what? I don't care what my prayer request sounds like. But I know this God can do immeasurably more and infinitely more than I can ask or think. That's the God that I'm looking to. And I've got prayers and I've got seeds. Will you stand with me? If you're here this morning and you've got a seed. It's a prayer. It's a hope. It's a longing. And I say, Lord, will you do? Would you exceed my expectations in this area in my life? Lord, would you go beyond my expectations? Would you do more than I can imagine? Will you do more than I can dream of in my life? If you've got a prayer like that this morning, will you raise your hand to heaven? Mine is up. Would you keep that prayer in your hand? And just keep your hands up. We're just going to worship Jesus just for a moment. We're going to get our eyes and our hearts focused in again just for a moment. We're going to sing the chorus of the song, We Have a Savior. I'm going to encourage you. Would you sing that song? with us Jews this is Jesus Emmanuel he's with us tell all the world we are a savior we are a savior we are no longer lost he has come down for us before the Lord I want to read that quote again God accomplishes his purposes in a way 
that subvert expectations and that often look like failure and foolishness. Let's pray. Lord, when you were there as a baby in the manger, very few people would have guessed what was about to happen. Very few people realized that they were looking at the incarnate Son of God. And yet today, Lord, billions of people follow you, worship you, or surrender to you, lay down their lives before you daily, Lord. And that's us as well, Lord. Lord, we come before you with all of our faults and our failings and our foolishness. But we also come before you, Lord, with our dreams, our hopes, and our prayers, and our plans. And we ask you, Lord, would you do immeasurably and infinitely more than we can ask or imagine in these situations? Would anyone say amen? Amen. Lord, we lift before you those seeds, as it were, Lord, those seeds of prayers, those seeds of hopes, those seeds of longings, and ask you, Lord, would you confound even our expectations, Lord? Lord, may we be able to testify about you that the God that we believe in, there is nothing impossible for the God that we believe in. That he does immeasurably more, infinitely more than we can ask or that we can imagine. Lord, we bring these seeds, these circumstances. Lord, Lord, I know that these will be relationships Praying for people to come to faith. Praying for breakthroughs, Lord, in marriages, in relationships, in work situations, in educational settings, Lord. In accommodation situations, Lord. Lord, you know the whole panoply of human experience. We bring it all before you this morning. And declare that we have a Savior. That today we worship the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. And we commit ourselves into his hands. Lord, will you finish the work that you began in our lives, we pray. And don't let us get in the way. We pray, we say, in Jesus' name and God's people said. Let's do a closing prayer, Lord, as we go into the week that's to come. With all of its busyness, with all of its distraction and delight, with all of its issues and problems and joys, Lord. We ask you, Lord, in all of this week, we will not forget the one about whom it is all about, Lord. I pray, Lord, that in this coming week, Lord, we will hold before our minds, hold before our souls, in our waking hours, before we put our head on the pillow at night, Lord, we would remember that this is all about Jesus. Lord, we ask you that you'd bless us and watch over us. Keep us safe in this coming week. And as the psalmist said, Lord, you are our helper and our shield. Show yourself in that way this week, we pray. In Jesus' name and for the last time, God's people said, Amen. May God bless you, brothers and sisters, as you go into the coming week. May the Lord watch over you and keep you safe. The lads are going to play us out with the song, We Have a Saviour. We're serving tea and coffee downstairs in the Courtyard Cafe. God bless you. We're here again next Sunday at 10 and 11.30. Jules.